Well, welcome to another Pray for Surf podcast, and I'm glad to be on the line with uh, my friend Mark Dillon. This is Phil Miliarati. Mark, how are you today? I'm great, Phil. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We're going to have some fun today. We uh, think this might be called uh, our 10 favorite Beach Boy albums. Uh, we'll see how that transpires once we start talking about it. But I need idea- this today, Phil, because it's uh, it's about 36 degrees here in Toronto, so I need a little bit of sun and surf. <laughs> gotcha. Um, lead us in. Uh, you 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 uh, threw this idea out. How did it? How did this idea come to you? And what was it that? You know, who cares what Phil Miliarati's favorite Beach Boy albums are? But what what got you going on this? Well, I, I for one care, Phil, but uh, I, I was inspired uh, with this idea because uh, there have been a few uh, top 10 Beach Boy lists circulating in the press uh, lately. Paste Magazine did one. In fact, they did the top eight Beach Boys albums, which is a peculiar number. Uh, and then um, Mojo Magazine did one as well. And I mean, these lists are always very interesting, and, and I'm always very surprised what people come up with, and it got me thinking about my own list. And, uh, you know, once I get uh, thinking about stuff like that, I can't stop. So i, I got to get it out of my system. Well. Uh, we're, we're glad to do therapy for you today. Uh, hope you, you know, hope you. Survive. And hopefully, it's something all the Beach Boy fans out there are uh, contemplating from time to time, and they'll uh, they'll get something out of it. And I can't wait to hear their uh, feedback and see their lists as well. Sounds good. Plus, uh, this isn't really a uh, well. It's kind of like a teaser a bit. Where when we end this list of ten, we're also going to talk about our list of a couple albums that if. We had to have a Beach Boy album cut from the catalog. What would it be? Harsh. So, harsh. Harsh. It's sacrilegious. Uh, it's a terrible thing, but we'll get through it. Okay, why don't you start? You want to you go up from 10 up, or how are you going to do it? Yeah, I'd love to do that. And, and let me start by saying I think the toughest – number on this list is number 10 because once you make that choice for number 10 that means you're cutting off a bunch of great albums and and there were some albums that i think are excellent and maybe they'll be on your list that i could not include so you know there were about four or five really competing for that number 10 spot and i'm going to go with the beach boys love you ah okay talk about that for a second i mean this is i th- one of definitely one of the most divisive uh, albums in the Beach Boys catalog. Um, you know, this came out in 1977, but it's unfiltered Brian Wilson. This is you know as he was doing his Brian is back thing, and really he was being forced to to create music by Eugene Landy. But I guess we could thank Eugene Landy for this. And I mean, this album, the first time I listened to it, I honestly felt like this is a frisbee and I'm going to throw it out the window. It was so bizarre to me upon first listen. Uh, you know, it, it's got this heavy synthesizer sound to it, which was very strange. And, you know, some of the silliest lyrics I've ever heard and, and Brian's voice and Dennis's voice are, are, are pretty crappy on this album. But the reason why it soars is because this is all delivered with, with great conviction. I mean, only Brian Wilson could get away with lines like, Mona, don't you like fine wine now? Don't it, don't it taste fine now? I mean, but he's, you know, Dennis sings this like, like, like it's Shakespeare or something. I don't know. So I, I think <laughs> it's, it's a joyous album. If, if you let your cool radar down and get into it, I think uh, it, it's a sublime masterpiece of a sort. I love it. Yeah, it's kind of a, 
it, maybe it, it would have the award if we did an award for each album, uh, you know, what award would it get? This would be the quirkiest. Would you agree with that? Or is there a better word for it? I mean, it just, there's a lot of quirky in the Beach Boys catalog, but yes, this this one, as I said, it's unfiltered Brian Wilson. I mean, he, you know, Carl and Dennis did play uh, a substantial role in recording this album, and and Mike and Al came in to do some vocals, and thank God for that because only them and Carl had pretty clear voices at that at that point in time. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a bizarre album. It's not to all taste. I know fans that hate it, but uh, I'm one of those that love it. Yeah, and that, we won't spend the whole time on this one obviously but i, I wonder uh if brian if the voices brian and dennis were in a better place at that time would it still have this total quirkiness is that part of the quirkiness if they and i'm not sure this is even something i should say but if they you know re-recorded it uh would that would that ruin it is is it a and from at least your point of view, is it a top 10 album because of all that stuff? I'm not sure what I'm asking here, but what do you think? Well, I think the songs are quite strong. I think you could re-record yeah. them. I, I don't think they suffer from those voices being bad necessarily. Like, I mean, Crokey Dennis singing a song like, I want to pick you up, you know, a song about a child. I think there's something very touching about that, that this this, this yeah. gruff voiced guy who who lived pretty hard could could display this tenderness through that voice you know towards a child for example i i think there's something very moving about that like it, it's an album that you have to embrace warts and all you know i think the warts are definitely part of the charm but by the same token i think the songwriting is very strong like i'll give you one example i'll bet he's nice i think is a is a perfect pop song uh i love the way the voices are handed off from one wilson brother to another there, there's a rather uh, ribald uh, line in there if you if you dig for it um and I think it's I think it's just great. I think that could be re-recorded and and still be a great song. But I think th this production captures a moment in time, you know, when when Brian and and Dennis, you know, were were having their problems with substances. But it's a very creative album. It's unique. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, and when you mentioned uh, Dennis singing, I want to pick you up. For some reason, I thought. Uh, and are these two albums in the same universe? But I thought of Friends at that moment. The the just the this is we're just singing about what life is about kind of thing it it harkens back to some of the the friends time or you know i had to make you know had to phone you or just just the the most i don't want to say trivial but mundaneish things of life seemingly yeah. and making songs out of them it's it's like that 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 i don't know what i don't know of any other album like love you except that aspect of it seems to connect a little bit with the friends album and Wild Honey, I mean, that, that whole era, like if you look at a song like I Love Just Wants to See You, I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. a song yeah. about a guy like doing dishes and thinking about a, an ex-girlfriend, I mean, uh, it, you know, The Night Was So Young, I think, connects with that too. Um, uh, to me, it's very much like Wild Honey, a kind of R&B rock and roll album, but, you know, this time in the sort of disco-ish, pre-New Wave era. Well said. Well, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to give us your bottom four. You're on a roll, and I, mine are obviously one at a time, but they kind of go in clumps. So how about if you go through 10 through 7, and uh, we'll see where we go. Is that all right? Sure, and I mean, that, that actually works for me because the next three albums I, I think are of 
pretty much equal value. It was hard for me to to rank yeah. them. I, I think they're very different albums, very different sound. But anyway, I, I had to go ahead and rank them. So number nine is Sunflower. Okay. Do you, do you want to talk one at a time? Do you want to give the list of uh, those four, three, or well, you... let, let me talk a bit about Sunflower. I mean, some fans would uh, would rate this number one. I mean, there are fans out there who love it. They love the fact that the songwriting duties are, are handled by by all the guys, and and the vocals are handled by all the guys, and so it's it's a real team effort in that way. The sound quality is great. Uh, the recording by by Steve Desper, their engineer. Uh, it was way ahead of its time. It's it's a great album to listen to, particularly I think on vinyl. I, I've never felt the the CD versions I've heard of have quite done it justice, but nonetheless, a great sounding album. And uh, you know, I think the, the real champions of that album are, are as always Brian, but Dennis as well. I think Dennis matches Brian on that album. Four Dennis songs. That's the most he would ever get on a Beach Boys yeah. album. And they are fantastic. Slip on through. Got to know the woman. It's about time and forever. These are among his best songs. It adds so much. So it's a very soulful record. Um, and I would say that this this record, I mean, they had accumulated maybe 40 songs, you know, in 1969, 1970, that they were all, all of them were recording a lot of music. And so they had to sort of pick and choose the best. And, and while I think they did a great job, I'd say why I don't rate this album higher is because it, it does something that um, the Beach Boys today does, and that is it, it pretty much puts the fast songs on side one and the ballads on side two. Uh, but I, I like that in theory, but I think in, in execution, you have so many ballads on side two that some of the ballads lose their force. I mean, when you have two great ones like All I Want to Do and Forever, then I think a song like Our Sweet Love just seems okay in comparison, you know? Like, I think they had other songs in the can that had they introduce those into the mix, it might have been an even stronger album. I'm thinking of stuff like Soulful Old Man Sunshine. I mean, oh my goodness, the, yeah. the title alone, uh, it, it sort of explains what the Sunflower album is all about. It's about sunshine soul, you know? So I think if that had opened side two, for example, and, and you know, even other ballads like Fallen in Love by Dennis, I think is, is great. And that, that one would have been great on the album. So anyway, I, I don't want to diss this album. I think, I think it's a great album and has more great songs than, than most albums should be allowed to have yeah i agree it, it's on my list it's actually number 10 but uh i i agree and it was one of those albums um how do i say this it was like oh thank you god uh the beach boys aren't dead and maybe people will even listen to them now i mean in real time as these albums were coming out they were just getting ignored uh laughed at obviously we look back and people realize that even their very poor selling albums around that time were not very poor at all. They were very good. Sunflower is one of those. So it was, uh, some of these albums that I'll talk about when I get to some of mine are like sonic moments. I don't know what else to call them where it's like, I know I'm listening to this. It's brand new. Uh, I love it because it's Beach Boys, but they're, wow, there's something very special here. And so number 10 on my list, but number eight for you, Mark. Surf's up. Mm, okay. Now I, I felt it, it's difficult because Sunflower and Surf's Up came came out consecutively. Surf's Up one year later, 1971, and I think a lot of fans prefer they they feel the Beach Boys vibe, the authentic Beach Boys vibe more in Sunflower. But I think the thing with Surf's Up that can't be denied is there is an overall ambiance to this album 
that, that carries pretty much from start to finish. I mean, I think if there's one sort of sore thumb track, it might be um, student demonstration time, which I think is, is an excellent recording. Some of the lyrics, I think Mike was just trying to be clever more than really making a, a cogent point. But if you take all the other songs, there's, there's a real mood to it, like a real moodiness that, that didn't exist in a lot of Beach Boys music, except really, I guess, the Pet Sounds and Smile era. And I mean, Carl for one, deserves great praise. I think Feel Flows is a masterpiece. I don't know where that song came from, but obviously right. his collaboration with, with manager Jack Riley, who wrote the lyrics, was, was a very, very strong one. Long Promise Road as well. And, and especially the side two, like side two as a whole, and let's include Al's song, Looking at Tomorrow, the welfare song, Moody Folk song. And then you've got this, this suite of Brian songs at the end of this album, A Day in the Life of a Tree. To many people, the song was kind of laughable when it came out. But I think in retrospect, it's, it's a very personal song and, and a pretty great production that really builds into something very powerful. And then that leads into Till I Die and Surf's Up. I would say that no Beach Boys album has a better closing than this one when you think Till I Die and Surf's Up. That, that's, a, that's an amazing one-two punch. These are two of Brian's greatest of all time. Uh, Disney Girls by Bruce Johnston, I think that's the best thing he ever did. Uh, and, and again, Al Jardine, good album for him. He's got uh, Take a Load Off Your Feet as well and uh, Don't Go Near the Water, which he, which he co-wrote with Mike. So, I mean, the band really scored a lot of points with the hippies and the counterculture. They, they seem very current with this album and it's uh, it's a very special uh, very special lp yeah good insights uh when you're talking about it the moodiness i think of the cover uh cover artwork yes and uh, i think that's made one of their very best covers i agree and i i think it it either captures that moodiness or it communicates that moodiness maybe you know is a, a different way to say it um you know so many of their one day maybe we talk about album covers because it's it's like oh groan you know really <laughs> Al's not on the cover of Surf uh, Summer Days what anyway um, you know I think they had some uh, flat tires with album covers but not this one and I I, I agree I think it created a, a context or a mood or communicated uh, kind of where they were at and yeah for uh, those that don't know this was a painting that I think that Jack Riley had found somewhere yeah. Uh, it's almost like a Don Quixote-ish type image of of uh, a defeated guy on a horse. Uh, we don't know the context, but I mean, uh, it, it really speaks to um, a song like Long Promise Road, where where you're you're facing hurdles in life. And, I mean, it's a defeatist album, and I mean that that's interesting. Sunflower is a very upbeat, positive album, and and Surf's Up in a lot of it is a very defeatist album, and and that's. Uh, I guess the only thing that really ties to is stuff like I just wasn't made for these times and uh, on Pet Sound. You know, it's it, although Brian's not responsible for the whole album, it seems to it seems like Carl even tapped into a lot of what uh, Brian had been talking about several years earlier. Well, and what you mentioned about student demonstration time, whether you like the song or not, it's you know it's very different. Um, but yet, that's about a problem. I mean, look what our you know, and our country still suffers in, in that area. Um, Brian's uh, three at the end that you talk about, um, first of all, the cover makes me think about Smile. That, you know, that I believe it was a, a First Nations person, an, an Indian, on the, on the, uh, the horse in that, fo in that picture. And I just wonder if that was a connecting point there, even though Smile was kind of long gone by that time. Um, and the two songs that you mentioned, uh, you know, Day in the Life of a Tree and Till I Die, 
you know, you don't put those on to get happy. You know, you're going to do a fun, fun, fun instead of that. But uh, in another podcast with some uh, some four other guys, uh, Jeff Foskett and uh, a couple others, we talked about songs that prompt, at least in our personal lives, the, the whole attitude of prayer. And those two, the first two songs are certainly uh, what I would call from a, you know, religious or Christian point of view. They're, they're very much like uh, lament songs, uh, psalms. Uh, you know, Book of Psalms has a lot of high stuff, praise and worship, and, but also some very introspective stuff. So uh, those are really, I think, some gems that if you haven't really dived, dived into the Beach Boy catalog, you, you might not... Uh, recognize how valuable or wonderful they are. Yeah, yeah I know people who are not Beach Boys fans who are nonetheless impressed by that album. Yeah, very cool. So, Love You, number 10, Sunflower, number 9, Surf's Up, number 8, and how about number 7? Wild Honey. Ooh, okay. And I know this is one of the Beach Boys' best albums. You know why I know? Uh, I should probably. I don't. Brian told me so. <laughs> okay, talk about So are we going to contradict the great Brian Wilson here? I don't think so. <laughs> this no, this is a very special album for me because I'd say this was the one, uh, you know, I'd been a Beach Boys fan when I was a kid, the greatest hits, the, the 1962 to 1965 era, and then I just kind of went away from it for a few years. And, and Wild Honey was the one that I discovered that made me realize that, you know, there's a lot of great material, you know, in, in, in the pet sounds to Holland era, 1966, 1973. But this album, again, it's one of those albums where I played it for people and like, this is the Beach Boys. Like, it's so different from what had come before, not what people expected. So I think, you know, it might have perplexed, you know, a lot of fans, uh, both casual and hardcore fans back in 1967 when it came out. I mean, it's been called their R&B album. Uh, it's it's very rock and roll. And, you know, Brian shows that he doesn't need the, the big productions of, of Smile and Pet Sounds to make great music. I mean, and, and it's uh, this is really the last time I think you can say that him and, and Mike Love collaborated on a whole album. You know, they definitely collaborated on songs, but this was an album where Mike wrote almost all the lyrics you know, Brian wrote almost all the music. Uh, so that's that's very heartening. And, you know, they had the shared love for R&B music. I mean, Brian, you know, we sort of forget he was very tuned in to the music scene at the time. And, uh, you know, therefore, he's he's like the first guy to cover Stevie Wonder with uh, I, I Was Made to Love Her, which came out a, a couple of months after Stevie Wonder's version was, was a hit on the radio. And, you know, there, there's a, a reference perhaps to Aretha Franklin when he said, you, ma- you made me feel like a natural man is, is a line in the song Here Comes the Night. You know, I, I assume because, you know, uh-huh. that Aretha Franklin classic came out that year as well. Um, so, you know, they're, they're digging into this new scene, this R&B scene, and, and I think there are some really sublime songs, like the title track, Wild Honey, uh, Aren't You Glad is one of my personal favorites, Darlin, uh, we've talked about Let the Wind Blow, that's a great one as well. <coughs> Excuse me, and, and these songs lend themselves very well to live performance because they're very direct, and, and the arrangements are a lot more simple. The, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a bit more rock and roll. And I think it's a very slight album. It's a very short album. Uh, there's no grand statements on it, but I think it, it totally succeeds in what it sets out to do. And, and there's some unheralded great songs like How She Boogalooed It, which 
didn't involve Brian, but the other guys writing it. I think that's a fantastic R&B song, like kind of bubblegum R&B song. I think I think it's great. I just it's it's one of those albums that just fills me with joy. I love what you just said, a bubblegum R&B. I've, I've never heard that mashed together. So uh, maybe there's a whole new genre that uh, you've invented or the Beach Boys did when they did it. Yeah, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking. Uh, my impression is they they were having conversations of okay, how do we regroup? How do we go back to basics? You know, the the smile thing is was still around them, and back. You know, I I I'm totally fantasizing here, but I could imagine uh, Mike saying something like, "Hey, back in the day, yeah, there was four freshmen, but you know, Chuck Berry, we uh, we loved the, uh, you know, it wasn't Motown sound back then, but you know." rock and roll and and so much of that was uh african-american black music um and then of course motown was huge so uh i think we're when it first came out i was like ah what is this i I didn't know how to get my head wrapped around it Um, but looking back i'm like i'm really glad there's a beach boy album that really is based on or trying to sound like or is inspired by uh, R&B and and maybe Motown especially. So, yeah, it's a great great one to have in your top ten. Any other comments on it? It's important to note that uh, it's really kind of the point where Carl seems to be very ensconced as, as the lead singer at this moment. You know, like obviously he had sung God Only Knows and Good Vibrations, but uh, now he's singing a, a lot of the songs like Wild Honey and Darling. You know, like because because he could really do that kind of white Stevie Wonder kind of voice. Like it sounds like he's singing as if he's like a, a very emotional teenager, basically. Like he's he's singing younger than than he really is, uh, and and he does it he does it great. Like there was many facets to, to Carl's vocals, and uh, he nails it on those. Uh, although it's great also that we had Blondie Chaplin uh, to do Wild Honey, you know, in in the early '70s when he was a member of the group, and now he's with Brian again and, and does it in concert. It's it's quite phenomenal. He he makes it his own, you know, totally different. Yeah. Uh, thought about Darlin, uh, unanswerable question, but uh, in its day, I don't think it was recognized. It was pretty much that's the latest Beach Boy single that didn't make it. Um, and I, you know, I didn't read everything on the Beach Boys back then, but I, I don't remember anybody saying, no, 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 this is a great song. Uh, it, it took years for that, I think. You could agree or disagree, but it took years, maybe decades, for that song to be recognized as my here's my take and you say what you want it's truly beach boys it's truly the you know brian wilson type of song but it it really is different than their surfing cars stuff i mean it it, it really creates it within their within their catalog it, you know it certainly does create a genre or at least the, the r&b stuff it, it really fits well uh, any thoughts about why it would, would have taken so long for uh, it to be recognized as, uh, you know, truly one of their one of their good songs? Well, it, it was the, the biggest hit off that album. I mean, uh, Wild Honey, the single, got some chart action, I think went to about number 30, whereas uh, Darlin went to number 19 in the U.S., number 11 in the U.K. So it was it was a moderate hit, but I mean, I think in general, their popularity was, was on the slide, uh, you know, after Smiley Smile came out and and Heroes and Villains did not do as well as Good Vibrations had done. So I think it, it was inevitable that people would start passing over some of the great music they were making uh, at that time. But, I mean, it's a very durable 
song. I mean, it's it's one of the the greatest melodies I think Brian Wilson ever came up with. It. And of course, he came up with it years earlier as a girl group song, uh, Think About You, Baby, for Sharon Marie, who was uh, a singer he and, and Mike were trying to help. And that that's a, a great version, too, a very Phil Spector-type record. Um, you know, so they borrowed that melody and, and did something different with it. But I mean, uh, you know, Brian doesn't like to waste a good melody. So, you know, I'm not surprised that over the years the song has just stuck around. I mean, I, I think they they always do it in concert, like from from that point uh, onward. And hey, they even had a I don't know if you saw it, but a, a Big Bang Theory episode based around that song. I didn't see the episode. I heard about that though. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um. Well, you've heard my uh, number 10 through uh, number 7. Yeah, I'll uh, give you mine. Uh, I'd already mentioned uh, Sunflower, number 10. I mean, it's a great album, but once I reveal some of the ones on top of it, you'll you'll get an idea why I'm bunching them this way as I look at these 10 favorite albums. Number 9 I picked as Friends. Ah. It's... Uh, it's one of it's another one of Brian's favorites. It depends what day of the week you talk to him about. He 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 <laughs> oftentimes would say he likes it or likes it the best. Um, yeah, it's just it, it it's not a quirky album. I don't think musically it it uh, mellow isn't quite the right. I don't know. I don't have words to describe this thing very much other than it just has a good uh, calm vibe to it. Um, Maybe they were saying something about their own relationships with the title Friends. Uh, you know, so they, they had some issues uh, over the years, and certainly the pet sounds, uh, at least the statements about how the band was not uh, supporting Brian. Uh, so maybe this is a way of, I don't know, patching things up that maybe sounds a little strong, but something was going on there. And uh, the songs were just, Nice songs about life. Uh, that, that sounds like such a corny way to describe it, but um, that's what comes to mind when I think of it. There's a great instrumental on there, a Diamond Head. That, right. That, uh, like, where did that come from? That was just cool. I know there's a story behind it, but anyway, it was, uh, you know, uh, we should have a talk one day, Mark, on, on Beach Boy instrumentals. Uh, I think some were pretty much throwaways in the early days, but not all of them, and not all of them as uh, Brian went on. So I'll stop there. Sunfire Friends, number nine. Any comment you want to make? Well, yeah, I guess Friends uh, has been known as their meditation album because, uh, you know, they had been introduced to the Maharishi around that time and, and were practicing meditation. And it really, as you said, it has that, that mellow vibe. Like, it's a very soothing album. It has some discordant moments, though, especially, um, ironically enough, the song Transcendental Meditation that closes the album because... You know, you'd think a song with a title like that would be very calm, but it's it's kind of got this kind of screeching uh, horn thing going on. Um, it's a very slight album. It's even slighter than uh, than Wild Honey. I mean, there's some very short yeah. songs on, on that album. Uh, it, it is very quirky, and it's it's a fan favorite for sure. Like there are there are definitely fans out there who who consider that to be their their favorite album. And there are great moments. I mean, Meant for You, what a great opening. That's 38 oh seconds goodness. long. Yeah. yeah. Um, and although when we heard the longer version on a recent box set release, we understood why they kept it to 38 seconds. Uh, the title track is great. Wake the World is great. Uh, Little Bird, Dennis, uh, you know, this is the album where Dennis starts to rise as, as a songwriter, and he had that collaboration with Stephen Kalinich. And uh, uh, Little Bird is a great little song that Brian contributed to. 
show the dentist had arrived. Uh, and of course, busy doing nothing, you know, is, is, is a, you know, one of those songs you were mentioning about, you know, as, as the title would suggest, it's not really about anything at all. Seinfeld of Beach Boys. I was just going to say that. Maybe we should call them Seinfeld, Seinfeldian songs or something. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 a, it's a it's a unique album for sure, and and people also like it because it, it seemed to mark a return to to harmonies and, and also to Brian, you know, working a little bit more with uh, with orchestrations than than he had uh, for the last couple of released albums. Okay, Sunflower Friends number eight. Uh, we tried to set rules as to what would fit and what it wouldn't, like greatest hits and stuff. We didn't do, but I I picked the Smile Sessions. Uh, what year was that? Twenty. I don't want to, 20, I, I forgot, 12, something like that. But anyway, that, you know, 21st century uh, edition, that big box thing, those technically, if those were, uh, uh, I don't want to say new songs. I mean, the thing that had been leaked, everybody had bootlegs, but just the, uh, the ability to listen to each of the songs, but then if there was an alternate version or an alternate take or different snippets, um, if we, if we had to suffer by not getting the 1967, what would have been the definitive smile, then even though it's uh, decades later, this is maybe the, the, the best we could get at that point. It's not just that some of the songs were leaked, but that theoretically all of them and, uh, and so much more of each of them, it uh, it allowed you to kind of immerse yourself and smile. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Are there too many people that literally started song, side one, song one, if you will, and go to the end? But uh, it it was it, it. Sometimes when I'm doing a shuffle, Beach Boy shuffle, and a smile song comes on, uh, it's like, oh my goodness! Uh, it's almost like you can't listen to smile as now you can, but uh, hearing each song um, just has its own particular stunning experience. Um, and I'm just kind of babbling here, but anyway. Well, yeah, eight, I mean, it, it's a, you get a whole lot of music out of out of the Smile material because, like, each individual song has so so many movements to it, you know, as Good Vibrations did, that it's almost like you're getting a whole album condensed in, into each song. Exactly. Well said, yeah. Yeah. And by I the way, uh, correct to correct myself, it came out in 2011. 11. Okay. Yeah, I was wrong as well. But uh, yeah, Brian was still doing the modular stuff, and some of those modulars being put together in a sweet form. Um, man, I wonder what that would have been like had he, you know, you and I talked about your theory uh, on one of our podcasts of, of the smile, the original smile, and point you made that I've not heard from others is. Back in that day, it was vinyl, so you couldn't have 20 songs on, you know, one side. There's only so many minutes. Um, uh, so again, to be able to listen to the the, the fuller experience, uh, it made my top ten. So there it is. So Sunflower Friends, Smile Sessions, and then number seven. And then we'll go back to your list. Number seven for me was 2020. Hi. Uh, um, you know how. How can you, you can't pick a bad one uh, in terms of songs, but uh, I, I think that again for me was uh, the, the, the timing of where they were uh, when it 
came out, there were some smile songs. And at that point, like that was huge. Like this was on smile, you know, our prayer. And, um, Kevin and I don't know if people realized uh, for quite a while that our prayer was supposed to be on smile. I mean, maybe some real hardcore fans knew that. But I don't think it was widely known. Certainly Cabin Essence had that reputation. And, and for 35 years, you know, those were the only places you could get official versions of those songs, I guess, until Brian re-recorded them in 2004. I mean, other than that, yeah. that's, that's where those, uh, those songs resided, even though we knew they were from Smile. Yeah, and I know it was kind of a cobbled-together album, maybe a little bit of what you're talking about with Sunflower, uh, but it had a great lineup of songs. Uh, Carl's voice again. Uh, the guy can hear music was on there, right? Uh, just... Uh, yeah. Um, it, it for you know those are tough days being a Beach Boy fan. I guess I keep whining about that, um, and and that was a, a high point. I don't know that it sold that well, or you know like oh wow, a new Beach Boy album. Uh, it was the first gate. They call it a gatefold or something. You know where the cover opens up, uh, right? Like a book. Uh, I mean that was cool. At least Capital did that. Uh, I don't know how much they promoted it. But I think it's a it's a, it's not a concept album. Uh, it's kind of like everybody's got a little song here or there. Um, I just think it holds up well. It's it's maybe the best word I can use is very listenable um, in in terms of the lineup of songs. Uh, so that's my number. I, I just seven. like to that. You know, I guess there's some merit in the argument that it's cobbled together. I mean, especially because you have the smile songs added on. But I mean, if you look at, at the session dates, uh, which you could do on, on Andrew Doe's uh, website, Bellagio 10 yeah. um, there was definitely a concerted effort to make an album. I mean, th there's no question that, that Do It Again, which had already been a hit, you know, a few months earlier, was going to be on that album. I mean, because almost always the hit singles ended up on albums. The only exception really in the 60s was The Little Girl I Once Do, because it wasn't a super huge hit. But you know, they did hunker down and, you know, work on these songs for, for, for a dedicated period of time in September, October, November 1968. So, I mean, it, they were thinking album, you know. I mean, it just so happens this was an album, you know, that, that yielded three singles and, and had a couple of smile things. But, yeah, I mean, song for song, it's, uh, it's, it's one of their best. Okay. Um, so, my bottom... Four, I guess, Sunflower going up, friends, smile sessions, 2020, yours, love you, Sunflower, surfs up, wild honey. So how about, you want to do number six, or you want to do a clump of them on yours? Uh, what do you want to go back to? Well, I could. I think numbers six, number five might go together a little bit. Okay, go ahead. So number six, Summer Days and Summer Nights. So this album, I think when when you think of the Beach Boys' resurgence in the 1970s, Endless Summer. This this album fed more songs into Endless Summer than any other of their albums. So, I mean, these songs spoke to a lot of fans, you know. California Girls, maybe their best record of all time. Help Me Rhonda, number one. Girl Don't Tell Me, a surprisingly great song. When people hear that song, it kind of blows them away. I mean, it's different. It's, it's a little bit more direct. No harmonies, great melody. Um... Let Them Run Wild, You're So Good to Me. So here's an album that has a lot of great songs. Um, you know, it, sometimes it gets a little 
downgraded by, by some people because they think the themes were a step backwards because the Beach Boys today perhaps had more uh, introspective material on it, and here we are talking about you know summer fun. Uh, but, and I said this in my book, 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, I think there's very few albums in pop history that have this suite of songs like uh, Then I Kissed Her, Salt Lake City, Girl Don't Tell Me, Help Me Rhonda, California Girls, Let Them Run Wild, You're So Good to Me. That is one consecutive suite of songs. I mean, that's like a greatest hits package right there, you know? Yeah, uh, it, it might... You know, it sort of ends a little bit weaker than it begins, and maybe that's that's why people don't value it higher. Because, I mean, it was nothing new for Brian to have what I would call kind of experimental or non-conventional tracks on his albums. I mean, it happened before, it happened later. And I'm thinking of Summer Means New Love, which, which showed him an instrumental that showed his arranging skills had actually moved forward quite a bit. Um, I'm bugged at my old man, which I think is you know historically important for for a document as to how he felt about Murray at that time, but also quite funny if you take it you know uh, in the spirit that it's delivered. Uh, and uh, and your dream comes true, which is an acapella thing. So we've got an instrumental, a novelty song, and acapella ending the album. So that's that's a bit weird. It doesn't necessarily end with a bang like with a huge you know hit song at the end or anything like that. But anyway, a lot of great songs on that album, and and it was definitely it was a step forward in terms of Brian's uh, arranging and producing abilities. Yeah, we could spend a good length of time just talking about each of those tracks. I mean, that's a tremendous lineup of songs. I think it gets, you alluded to this, it gets kind of a bad rap. It's, you know, the title is about summer days and summer nights, obviously, so they want, uh, they want to sell summer. And, uh, you know, Girl Don't Tell Me is, is a, has summer involved, you know, but but really, uh, you know, Palisades Park maybe. Uh, so few of them are, even if they mention summer, are just summer songs. I mean, there's some type of some summer songs where that's it's really all it's doing is talking about summer or beach or water or cars or whatever. But I mean, this is a album of, um, well, you know, girl, don't tell me. Uh, you're so good to me. That's not about summer. Help around is not about summer. California girls, in some ways, is, but really, it's about girls. Um, um, oh, what, what's the uh, girl from New York City? Isn't that the one that leads yes, off? Yeah, that's actually a, a very underrated opening track. Oh, that's my a good one. Goodness. Yes, I mean, couldn't you know? If that had been released as a single, would I think in that time frame that would have been a big hit? Um, so I, yeah, I just think actually. Uh, uh, I'll uh, reveal here, this is uh, number one on my list. Uh, wow. Doesn't mean, you know, it's the, the, the best. I mean, how, does anything supplant Pet Sounds? I can talk about that a little bit later about why I put there. But uh, I, I just think this is – actually, I wrote an article about it on my uh, Pray for Surf website called The Quintessential Beach Boy Album. It's like uh, everything Beach Boys, even some future stuff that we can look back to uh, look, you know, from future, we look back and say, yep, there, there's some of it there. Well, anyway, I, I'm just extolling it. I think it's a, a great, great album. You know, I, I love on the um, the two first CD that had uh, that album and Beach Boys Today, I guess. Um, yeah. at, at the end of uh, Summer Days and Summer Nights, it has the bonus track, the single <laughs> The Little Girl I Once Knew. And you know, if that had been part of the album, that that would probably you know raise it higher in my book because I mean we both love that song, uh, oh. and that that would have been an exciting way to finish that album. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, and a fun podcast would be, you know, five things we change about Beast Boy history. I think that would be one of them for me. Uh, somehow get a uh, little girl I once knew recorded earlier and, and get it on there because uh, it really belongs there. I know it's a, a step towards or looking towards pet sounds, but uh, it, it also has a foot in the uh, summer days, summer nights context. So, yeah, great song. I just did a little uh, research is too strong a word, but just look at the charts again. I, I'm I'm really bummed that that song stalled at number 20. I think that was the uh, the highest it got on the national uh, charts. And I've always had the theory that Capital sabotaged it uh, with Barbara Ann, but then I started to realize, well, but Barbara Ann didn't really chart until weeks later. But when it charted, it had already been out for like three weeks or so. In other words, I, I think they rushed it out um, and contributed to, uh, you know, the, the stall of Little Girl, because it was going up. Uh, anyway, we, we could talk about that some other time. But uh, Summer Days, uh, yeah, number one for me, number six for you. Number five, um, yes. All Summer Long. Oh, okay. Here is a great album. I, I listened to this album today, and – the reason why I give it the nod over Summer Days is because it's a pretty solid album. Like, it's pretty tight. Um, I mean, you can't start off much better than with I Get Around and All Summer Long. I mean, All Summer Long wasn't even a single. I mean, but, but what, a great, what a great song, uh, an anthem. You know, I mean, this sums up the Beach Boys as well as any other song. And, of course, it was used very memorably in the closing credits of American Graffiti. Uh, there's something very wistful about it. I mean, this this album, it's all about, again, it's all about summer. Uh, great cover with all the pictures of the guys on the beach romping around with their girlfriends. Um, so it's like it's like a collage of summer with these little snapshots. You know, we're talking about motorbikes, and we're talking about girls on the beach. Uh, but, you know, also summer's a time for heartbreak, right? That happens too. And uh, Wendy is a great, uh, a great song. Oh, yeah. A great sad song. Um it's just very tight. Like even like you know the non-hits will run away. Like that's a very unheralded song that I think is great. Great Brian vocal, very emotional. Um, and uh, don't back down. What a great closer. You know, like that was one of the best songs ever about surfing, and a very short song, but it, uh, really gets me excited every time I hear it. Well, I know there's a fine line, maybe not even a line, but uh, a fine line between thematic and concept. In other words, you know, Little Discoop is a thematic, to me, is a thematic uh, uh, album, um, you know, Surfing USA. It's thematic, same theme. Uh, again, fine line, but I, this may be their first concept album. What's the difference uh, between Summer and, and Little, you know, and Cars? In some ways, not, but it, it's almost a, the difference is it's not just the topic of what they're singing about. It's it's the ethos. I can't define that other than, how, you know, the vibe, I guess, is what I'm saying. And and this one um, maybe is the most mature of all the thematic albums. Um, and maybe it's uh, the first concept album where it really is, is uh, selling uh, the summer experience. 
I don't know if you feel. Yeah, and I, I think you know you, you don't think of this as being like a big production statement, but you know I get around is a great record, and also if you look at something like Drive-In, it's a fun song. We we included it on our previous podcast about humorous Beach Boys songs. It's a fun song, but it's all yeah. quite a an avant-garde production. You know, I mean, it has these dead stops, like the little girl I once knew has. You know, like why why would you Brian? Why would you make us like endure a dead stop in a song about the Drive-In? You know, like you're confused. <laughs> with our expectations you know so it showed that within that fun context of fun records he, he was trying stuff you know that he would come back to later and uh it's just uh it's it's a it's a classic for sure love it okay well i will give you my six five and four how's that sounds good uh that not that they're that they're alike in terms of what they are but in terms of i guess i'd say category it's like this this threesome came to me which I'll, I'll just say i'm sure none of these are on your list wow and uh that's why when we talked before this uh podcast I, I wanted to clarify that i wasn't thinking greatest albums i'm thinking favorite albums i so, love it yeah all of this is personal we know that uh anybody who's listening to this has probably said you know you guys are crazy both of you but uh <laughs> here we go Num- number six Live in London. Uh, I love that album. Pardon me? I love that album. That is, that is. I didn't put it on my list, but I, I guess I wasn't thinking in terms of live albums, but uh, that is my favorite live album of theirs and, and holds a very dear place in my heart. I think it's great. Well, we don't always, uh, you know, we're not clones of each other, but, but you know, we, we think, uh, at least on this one, similarly, yeah, um, Maybe one day we'll, we'll we'll parse out the the, the four live albums. Uh, they're all good for different reasons, but to me this one was uh, again what I call a sonic experience. It, it was like from the very beginning it just hit me. Uh, the horns, the the sound in that room where they were. I don't even remember what hall it was, but you know it was in England. Hammersmith Odeon. Thank you very much. Uh, so the room, the sound of the room. Uh, the the uh, their uh, their presentation was changing um, in terms of it wasn't just each guy had their own little uh, um, you know plug into an amplifier but but there was there was a bigger sound not just louder but a bigger sound presentation uh, the songs that they did, it wasn't a greatest hits concert. I mean, I love, you know, Beach Boy concert before that, the, those songs. So it's not like, oh, I'm glad they weren't singing those, but I'm glad they were singing songs that they wouldn't have sung had they just done a greatest hits thing. Um, so it just felt... Phil, can I just interrupt for a sec? I, I was dead wrong on that. It was actually at uh, Finsbury Park, Astoria. That's where it was recorded. Ah, okay. Well... The Astoria um, Theater in London. Glad you're looking at your computer. Thanks. Um, so anyway, Thank you, Google. yeah, amen. Um, you know, again, I, I enjoy every uh, concert album for different reasons, but this one, this one almost felt like uh, here I go again, like a co- concept album. Like that's that's not the right word for it, but it just felt like a, um, a different show and song selection. And anyway, I'm just repeating myself. I'll, I'll let you respond if you'd like. But that's number six on my list, Live in London. Yeah, this was one of the first albums I ever got. And uh, there's something mesmerizing about it if you're a Beach Boys fan. I mean, it, it's so heartwarming, you know, that we know that commercially 
people were tuning out to the Beach Boys in America in, in 1968, 69. Um, but in London, they were, you know, I, I interviewed um, Mike Kowalski, who was along on that tour, and he said that the Beach Boys were greeted like the Beatles. You know, yeah. I don't understand why, but they were, you know, and uh, and that's great. That's great that they that they were getting it because the Beach Boys sort of arrived a little bit later on the scene in England. So it was it was all a bit more fresh to, to the fans over there. And they they appreciated, you know, what the Beach Boys were putting out at that time. Case in point, Do It Again, which is on that album, was a number one song in England. You know, could only yeah. be number 20, I believe, in uh, in the U.S. But you know their their live shows had improved so much like in the course of a year or two like if you if you listen to you know some of the earlier stuff they did it was a bit thin like circa 1966 uh but now they they really fleshed it out with with a fantastic horn section aren't you glad has a fantastic version uh bluebirds over the mountain these these are better live than they are on on, on the records i believe uh, thank you yeah, i agree keep going but i totally agree yeah, and I mean, there's just some some spine tingling moments, like uh, when they. I, I think this was the first album appearance of of them singing "Their Hearts Were Full of Spring," you know. So this totally a cappella four freshman song that is really like where their harmonies are born. You know, this is this is what they look to 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 form the, their group sound. You know, to hear them do that live at that point is great. Uh, and then you know people go nuts for for good vibrations and God only knows. Um, and even Barbara Ann becomes a pretty rockin' tune at the end, you know, which. Uh, which I don't think it was before. It was kind of just a goofy little song, but uh, they, they rock it up very effectively. I only wish that they had not cut the last track, which was the uh, Dennis song, All I Want to Do, which is another great rocking song, and they do a great live version. They did a great live version that night, or one of those two nights, and I guess they cobbled two nights together, but um, that that would have even made the album better. But still, uh, I, I think that is uh, one of the greats. Yeah, just one point to go back on when you talked about their their sound was kind of thin, and this is uh, my you know, statement, you know, a step way beyond that. If you just take the the, the tapes or you know the uh, CD wherever you get it, but the the uh, rehearsals and then the for for good vibrations, uh, you know, when it had just come out and going to number one, and I think Brian had to fly to Michigan or Chicago to meet them and help them arrange to do it live, uh, you know, given what they sounded like back then, it was a you know, pretty good accomplishment that they could actually yeah. perform good vibrations. But, it, it, but the ambiance is totally different. I mean, I remember being at those concerts and basically you, you one, you dressed up to go, uh, that says something. And then secondly, you sat there, uh, you know, in, in today's concerts, uh, if you're not up by the second or third song, you know you're you're, you're not going to see anything. Uh, it was just well, that might be because it's the Beach Boys. If it had been a Rolling Stones concert, people would have attacked the stage. Uh, well, very good point. Uh, but but anyway, this this just uh, took them a quantum leap forward, and I'm really glad that. Uh, aren't you glad? I sure am. I'm sure glad this this one came out. Okay, my number. Uh, pardon me. I'm glad you have it on your list. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, number five, this one you may want to hang up on me, but uh, hang in there, please. Um, came out in 1968, another gatefold album. Actually had a number of sheets of uh, paper in the middle there. Talking about, well, actually another aspect to it, My, from my recollection, the very first Beach Boy album that had the six Beach Boys on the cover. 
uh, stack of tracks. Well, that's a very interesting choice. <laughs> yes, it is. And obviously, we're saying all of this is personal, but it just had a, a profound effect on how I listened. I could never listen to the Beach Boys the same way again because of being able to hear things that my ears could not hear. Um, I'm sure many people, I had a friend growing up, a guy named Dave Hombo, who really was the music. He was like a Brian Wilson, very musical. We made the records together and, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and, you know, he knew everything. So, so uh, you know, he probably heard these things just by listening to the records or radio back then, I didn't. So when I began to hear Sloop Jam B and California Girls, just the instrumentalist, I mean, I won't call it a spiritual experience, like, you know, God showed up, but it was just something stunning for me. And so it has to be, uh, it's at number five. I don't know that the actual, you know, what number it is is important. It's certainly on my list of favorites in the sense of Beach Boy music that, uh, got through to me or or changed the way I listen to uh, to their songs from then out. So stack of tracks. I, now, it was presumably, you know, all the guitar chords were there or whatever. I mean, I couldn't read any of that. That was meaningless to me. But uh, just being able to – and it also felt, you know, it was just, at least for me, beginning to realize – there's more going on in the studio than what we end up with with a song of two minutes and 32 seconds or something. And so while these weren't studio, you know, alternate versions and studio talk, it it was a little bit more like, uh, wow, sitting in the control booth and hearing them, uh, you know, put the track down. So there it is, stack of tracks, number five. Well, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting pick. I mean, um, you know, I, I think it, it makes a point that Brian Wilson was a great arranger. I mean, here's a guy that was – did great instrumental tracks as a producer and arranger and did great vocal arrangements. Like that's, that's, you know, I imagine a pretty rare gift to be able to master both of those and then you marry it together and you get something that sounds like heaven, you know, but you could, you could take them separately and, and get something very substantial. And I guess this, this makes that point. And it's interesting because for many years, this, this release was, was, Scorned. You know, I think most fans said, well, this was just a cynical cash grab by Capital, like just another right. to like, you know, put Surfer Girl out there in the market, you know. Um, but then, you know, as we, we talked more and more about the genius of Brian Wilson and, and his arranging abilities and, and all these CDs started coming out and box sets, they always had the, you know, the instrumentals and the uh, and the vocals separated out so you could you could enjoy the details that are lost when it all is mixed together. So I, I guess it was a release that was ahead of its time, just like Brian was ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, you know, if Party was one of the first, maybe the first unplugged, unintentionally unplugged albums, uh, I don't know what we call Stack of Tracks, maybe the first um, instrument, you know, instruments only kind of thing. Uh, yeah, totally. Karaoke. Karaoke. There you go. Ah. But uh, I think you know, I, I think that even though Capital was doing these releases just to keep milking the cow kind of thing, um, they've left us with some good stuff. Now, of course, if there wasn't a stack of tracks, we would have that because of, you know, bootlegs and f subsequent releases that give us some of that. But at the time, it was, uh, you know, no pun intended. It was off the charts for me. So that's why it's uh, number five. 
Okay. I'll, let me go to number four because uh, my top three are together, and, and then you can you, after you will go to, after this we'll go to your number four. So number number six is live in London. Uh, number five is stack of tracks. Number four, another might be a surprise to you, is the Christmas album. Well, that was included, I think, uh, on one of the other lists that came out. I guess it was the the, the paste list, uh, which sort of made me raise my eyebrows. But go ahead, tell me all about it. Well, uh, also wrote an, an article on my site about, about the Christmas album. Uh, how if you take the five original Beach Boys songs and you change the words so that you weren't talking about Santa Claus uh, or you know, uh, Merry Christmas, baby was, uh, you know, some other holiday. And in, in other words, if you, if you de-Christmasize those songs, I don't want to overstate it, but wow, that's a pretty good start to a full album of new Beach Boys songs that are excellent. Uh, I, mean, I, I know Christmas has its, uh, I don't know, allure or, or its own ethos and all that kind of stuff. So we can't get them out of that. Um, but nonetheless, I think if you just listen to me, those five songs, uh, just as Beach Boys rock and roll, but then the one song I'll pick from the other side is uh, We Three Kings, which is religious Christmas, not just, you know, Christmas ballad, uh, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, to me, that that's a, a a full side that that'd be a full album enough for me of just good Beach Boys songs. Maybe if you uh, they recorded Lord's Prayer around that time, if if that was stuck there, uh, you know it it it's just an album in spite of Christmas. There's good music there, uh, in in spite of it being a, a Christmas holiday motivated album. Oh yeah, and I prove your point. Um, the original version or or an earlier version of uh, Little St. Nick actually had the track from Drive-In. Exactly, yes. You know, uh, yeah, they, they could be swapped out. <laughs> you know, and this happened again in the 70s too, right, when they, the Beach Boys recorded an album around 1977, 78 that never saw the light of day, and so they ended up recycling a lot of those melodies into the MIU album. So, Right. And for, whatever, the... for whatever purpose they need it. Same thing, yeah, a couple Christmas songs have done the same. So, so that middle section there uh, of, I don't know, not quirky, but just not typically thought of as greatest or favorites, at least for me, what they mean for my listening experience, Live in London, Stack of Tracks, Christmas, kind of are in the middle of the pack. How about you? Number four. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, you mentioned this one earlier, 2020. I, I, I value it very highly. Yeah. Uh, wow. So I, I tried to keep a little bit quiet when, when you talked about it, but I guess what I will add is that, uh, you know, Friends was, was the introduction of, of Dennis Wilson as, as a songwriter, but uh, he reaches a new level on, on the 2020 album. Um, all I want to do, this is interesting, I had a friend that just turned 50, and so I made him a mix of songs from 1968, and, you know, I included you know, uh, Steppenwolf and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Velvet Underground, like, you know, s groups that were putting some hard rock and sounds out at that time. And you put that song, All I Want to Do, right there, and it stands up. Like, I mean, if the Beach Boys can stand up to the Velvet Underground, <laughs> then you know that they could rock out, you know, and, and 
it's interesting that, that Dennis got Mike to sing this song, and I think it's one of Mike's greatest vocals. Fantastic. A real hard-driving rock and roll song. Um, Be With Me, I think Dennis is hitting Pet Sounds Heights with that. I mean, that is a great uh, orchestration of a very uh-huh. moody ballad. There's just a mood to this album, and the Smile songs enhance it. There's, a, there's a, almost menace about, about a lot of this album, something kind of haunting. You know, and you get it and be with me. You get it a little bit and I went to sleep, you know, which, uh, which is a, a great little Brian song. You certainly get it and never learn not to love, which, which you know, as we know, was, was a song written by Charles Manson. But, I mean, Dennis and Carl produced this into something quite powerful, I think. Um, and then you have the Smile songs as a bonus. So, I mean, some people might not think of it as a cohesive album because of the smile songs being tacked on. They could have had a great album without those songs because there were some interesting things in the can. For example, We're Together Again, to me, that is like a, a 45 record quality song. I mean, that has a great Brian lead vocal to it, great harmonies. That I don't know why they didn't release that in its day. That could have been on that album. And uh, we talked about Old Man River. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, that could have ended the album, you know, because if you, you have this side two that's almost all Brian stuff except for Never Learn Not to Love, starting with Cotton Fields, his collaboration with Al. So you've got that, 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 um, that old-fashioned country feel a little bit in Cotton Fields and I think Old Man River. Even in what we have of that is, is a great song. If he had completed that, that would have been a great closer as well. But anyway, 2020 has always cast a really uh, strong spell over me. So uh, that's that's one that we certainly yeah, agree Yeah, great. Um, uh, before we move on uh, for your number three or however you, far, far if you want to go, uh, you mentioned Cotton Fields. Cotton Fields has Brian's arrangement and the single has Alan's. Uh, you have any comments on that? Any favorites between those two? Any favorites? I like them both. I mean, I, I think the advantage of Al's is that it uh, it's a bit looser and moves a little bit more. Um, but there's nice touches to Brian's production as well, as you would imagine, like like a banjo part at the end, for example. So, uh, you know, some people hate the Al version because, you know, they it, it was characterized in, um, in that bogus uh, memoir that Brian put out, Wouldn't It Be Nice, that, that Landy had control over, where, you know, it was, it was uh, positioned as if Brian was, was deeply hurt by the fact that Al re-recorded the song and released it as a single. He said, oh, it's like my feelings didn't matter at all. I doubt the veracity of that story. I mean, I don't know why Brian would be so upset about that. It's not like they eliminated or didn't release his version. You know, Al just went in a different direction and, and a good direction, I think. So I think we're, we're lucky to have both of them, really. It's like yeah. Smile and Smiley Smile. We're lucky to have both of them. There you go. Very good. Go ahead, number three. The Beach Boys Today. Okay. Now, if I had a little bit more guts, I might even put this a little bit higher on the list. But anyway, this is this is a masterpiece of an album, I think. This album came out in 1965. This album came out more than an entire year before Pet Sounds. So we all know, you know, the impact that Pet Sounds made, you know, even when it came out. This this album came out more than a year before, and you've got this suite on side two of these orchestrated ballads uh, that are very strong. Like Kiss Me Baby, that to me is as good as anything on Pet Sounds. She knows me too well. What a great song! Like this is this is Brian getting really more introspective, you know, and really getting into his inner turmoil uh, in the back of my mind just as much. And it has this bizarre ending where where it has this somewhat disturbing orchestration that comes out of nowhere, leaves yeah. you very unsettled. Um, 
So this was a real breakthrough. And then go to the other side, side one, you've got hit records galore. You've got Do You Want to Dance, which is a great cover. You've got Dance, 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 which was a big hit. You've got When I Grow Up, which is a, a real highlight. I mean, uh, that's, that's Brian really forcing the Beach Boys as a band to, to, to play a really, a really interesting arrangement. You've got the first version of Help Me Rhonda. It's not the best version, but I mean, still, this is where, where the song originates. Good to My Baby, I think, is, is as good as anything else on that album. Like, what a fantastic uh, song. More, more Brian, you know, dealing with his pain, you know, but in a nifty uh, song, guitar-driven song. Um, I think if you, if you include Help Me, Rhonda, there's basically seven sides on this album. By sides, I mean, like, single A sides or B sides. So it is, it is an album. Please Let Me Wonder. That's another one. It had a little chart action. went to about number 52. So... You have a lot of solid, solid radio quality songs on this album, and and, and it, it flows really well. So, uh, what what an accomplishment! Yeah, it's, it's hard to gush too much over this. Uh, um, looking again at the uh, the writing uh, of these songs, and it's a lot of you know Mike Love, Brian Wilson stuff. Um, so I don't know if they ever did. A, well, Wild Honey was great, but in terms of the early Beach Boy years, I mean, this this I think was maybe their greatest uh, collaboration album. Uh, amazing stuff. Um, yeah, and Mike, was, Mike deserves a lot of credit because he did write a lot of those ballads. Like we always talk about them. You know, Mike gets a bad rap to some extent because we always talk about this as these are the Brian songs, and, and even I just said like very personal Brian songs. But but in a lot of cases, Mike is writing the words. Like like in the case of Kiss Me Baby, I believe those are Mike's words. You know, and and he sings yeah. actually very well on that song as well. So I mean, yeah, he deserves a lot of the credit for that. Well, and I'm noticing in the back of my mind, Mike loved Brian Wilson. Um, not sure how many you know who wrote how, what lyrics, and there was all that the the, the legal suit and, and stuff like that. Sometimes maybe he was saying, "Hey, I, I wrote one word or something." But, but the point is that he, you know, that, that's a very different song. That's just orchestrally, and um, you know, he uh, he stands up well with that. Um, this is their first non-summerish surfing beach beachy type album. Yeah, no uh, no surfing, no cars. So what else could you sort right. of get the kids with? Dancing. Yeah. Right. So you got. Do you want to dance? Dance, dance, dance. When this album was reissued, the first copy I ever bought of this album was a reissue, kind of an unfortunate reissue that came out, I think, in the seventies, um, where they titled it "Dance, Dance, Dance" because right. obviously it was no longer the Beach Boys today. But they, they 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 did something kind of silly. They they put "Dance, Dance, Dance" instead of being the closing track on side two, they made it the first track on side one. So that ruined the the, the kind of you know side one fast song, side yeah. two slow song dynamic but uh but anyway the songs the songs were still great yeah great album good choice um that was number three for you i'll just say it's uh, number two for me so we're we're close on that one nice so go ahead number two for you pet sounds okay i've heard of that as i said it was hard for me to to juggle that one with with the beach boys today they're both so great so i mean you know i don't need to go on too much about pet sounds but i mean let's just look at it this way here's an album anchored with four immortal singles 
you know, wouldn't it be nice, Sloop John B. And I'm I'm one that's happy that Sloop John B. is on that album. I love it. I think it fits. Uh, God only knows one of Brian's very best moments, maybe his best. Uh, Caroline knows. So there, that's the anchor. And everything in between is great. I mean, you know, everyone has their favorite, but I know there's an answer is, is probably mine, you know. But, you know, this, this was this was the next logical step, and, you know, everything was of, of, of an incredibly high caliber in terms of uh, production and arrangement. So, uh, you know, definitely deserves the place in pop history that it has made for itself. Yeah. Uh, no, it, yeah it's number three for me. So today and Pet Sounds are just swept, swept. Uh, you know, switched for me in my list. Um, I mean, I can still remember listening the very first time listening to uh, Pet Sounds on a turntable, and I didn't realize it back then, but I didn't get it. You know, I kept listening for the next Beach Boy song kind of thing. One of the Beach Boys is going to come on. Um, so, you know, you, you and Capitol Records both. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, yeah, not proud of it, but uh, just didn't get it. But I do remember when here here today blared out at me, it was like, oh wow, I love this sound. Uh, it just enveloped. I felt enveloped by it, and I, you know, I just had a little stink, dinky old uh, turntable, so it wasn't so great sound system. Yeah, just a, an amazing, amazing album. Um, you know, arguably, Pet Sounds. Uh, Number one, what does that mean? But you know, could it be greatest rock album? Some say, uh, Smile, greatest unreleased at the time album. Uh, Paul McCartney sang God Only Knows, maybe the greatest song written, uh, arguably Good Vibrations. Well, you know, I have to say that that's often said, and I just somebody made that statement on Facebook, but. The only time I've ever seen an official list from Paul McCartney, he did one for Rolling Stone magazine, and God Only Knows was not his number one choice. It was his number two choice. His number one choice was A Whiter Shade of Pale by Procol Harum. Mm. Well, can't deny that. Um, you know, when I mean, is something being nice? To throw out there. Or when is he trying to uh, – now I'm you know, the Beach Boy fan interpreting what he did – you know, is he trying to appeal to more hard rock fans? I don't know. Anyway, all I'm saying is just so many of their songs, albums, uh, you know, have a, again, arguably, maybe not number one, but just in the discussion for so many of the top spots. And I think still, even though these last 20 years, uh, give or take, I think people have finally uh, – more people have finally recognized, realized the greatness of their catalog. But um, back in the day, you know, they they were putting out some great stuff and didn't get noticed. So Pet Sounds, number two for you. Sorry, Pet Sounds had a strong reputation for many years. But my experience was, you know, after, as I told you, Wild Honey got me into that era. And uh, I just wanted to find a copy of Pet Sounds, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it was out of print, and uh, you know, Mike Love has spoken of, uh, of, uh, or, or I, sh- I should say, uh, James Gersio, who was handling their catalog at that time, had a bit of a problem with the, the record company, and, and, and according to, to James, that's that's why their their catalog was so hard to find at that time. But um, so I was just looking for it for years, and I was very happy when I uh, when I finally found it, and this would probably be in the late '80s. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, people like yourself, 
you happen to be a music critic, but you know, you just people of uh, good taste were discovering them. But I think it's much more widespread now, and maybe that's partly just because of the longevity. They're still touring, and it, sometimes there's, you know, there were three different touring groups. So um, maybe by staying the course, if you will, uh, they did themselves a favor that people began to recognize the, the good stuff they had. Well, anyway, you're number one, please. You had it already, the Smile Sessions. Oh, okay. And so I chose that because, to me, Smile has always been a very powerful story. To me, this is like, I, I do believe it was all kind of going in this direction. You know, it was all leading to that. And, uh, you know, the fact that it never happened was a great tragedy. When I was in film school, I wrote a script about it. Of course, it's already been made into a movie and some TV movies. But um, a very powerful story. And, and, boy, was I obsessively trying to build that album, you know, as early as I could, you know. Uh, I remember when I got home when I had bought 2020 and I uh, I put on that record and I heard Cabin Essence, like it, it, it tore my head off. I could not believe it. You know, I could not believe yeah. it. And yeah. uh, every song, every track, I think, is a gem on, on, on what we imagine Smile to have been. And, and we had the previous discussion about, you know, what I thought about my personal thoughts on what Smile would have been. So, you know, the answer's there somewhere in the Smile session. You can believe that, you know, what they put together uh, for that album at, at the opening, the first disc, is, is what Smile may have been. And if you don't believe it, you could, you could rebuild it from all the other contents of, of, of that box set, which is what I have done. And that, that mix that I have made for my personal listening is, uh, to me, the uh, Brian Wilson at his greatest. I mean, it's, it's almost exhausting. There's, as I said earlier, it's so much. Each song is so layered and, and full of stuff that um, it's amazing how much music you get uh, over the course of 45 or so minutes. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm trying to find out when Look, Listen, Vibrate, Smile came out because I can't, I don't remember, 70s, 80s, but um, somehow I got, and I've told this story, but I've gotten hold of Dominic Priori, and, uh, you know, he was one of the few that was writing extensively about that and having access, not just hearing, but he had access to the songs. So I sent him a, a old poor me letter, and he was kind enough to uh, put together a cassette for me. So long before, a lot, yeah, it was like I, I was doing some trips, uh, intrastate trips up and down Illinois. It's a long drive, and I go to different churches and do some teaching and stuff. But oftentimes I'd have that, it was a cassette, and I would just listen to those songs, not even knowing if he had them in order. I wasn't paying attention to that, but just sound after sound, song after song. It was, And there was a little bit of this, you know, not everybody has this thing yet. And uh, now it's different, but uh, it, it was just a cool thing for me. I mean, even if you built a tape, which I did as well, out of songs that had come out on Smiley Smile, plus the tracks that had dribbled out on 2020, Sunflower, if you consider Cool Cool Water, and um, and Surf's Up. Like, even that made an amazing sequence of songs, you know. And then when we realized there were Smile versions of, <laughs> of these songs that we hadn't heard, I mean, that was very exciting. And I don't know about you, but I certainly uh, purchased at least one bootleg. I remember talking to a guy, some dealer in uh, Virginia on the phone and buying uh, a CD from him. And, boy, that was exciting when that arrived in the mail. Oh, yeah. And then when CDs, uh, for me, you know, it was cassettes at first, then CDs came out. And sometimes at a, you know, they used to have a thing called record stores. 
and uh, you could find, you know, Sea of Tunes, that that archaeology. There was a whole bunch of uh, uh, bootleg series that included a lot, you know, just some of them, everything from beginning to end, but also uh, some some of the smile stuff. So it was a fun. You know, it was frustrating because, uh, you know, again, it didn't come out in 67 and all that kind of stuff, but it was a fun hunt, so researching and looking. And, and then when you find something, uh, it's like, oh, wow, you know, great gem here. It was kind of cool, kind of cool. And it didn't disappoint when, when, you know, when Brian recorded a version in 2004 and, and wrote some new stuff to, to finish it off, you know, like it, it was all very well done. Smile has always, I think, lived up to its its mighty myth yeah amen um so of the 10 uh six out of 10 we agree on that they're low you know their exact numbers but uh, that's more than i thought did you i love your choices i love the live in london and stack of tracks and the christmas album i love your your very personal slant on that i thought that's great well your yours are good too for sure okay a couple things i just want to say i just want to say i want to give special mention to three albums that came very close: Smiley Smile, Surfing USA, and Surfer Girl. They're all they're great albums as well. But hey, we limited ourselves to ten. That's right. Okay, good. Well, now we're going to do the thing that will have uh, people throwing tomatoes at us. What would be the most easily not easy, but what would be the most easily deleted album or a couple albums from the Beach Boy catalog? Now, we said we can't do just, you know, compilations, remakes, best of, best of. It has to be a real album. So I'll ask you to go first, at least with one, if you want. If you had to. If there was someone someone was holding a gun to your head, so we got to get rid of one. Oh, they don't have to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think, you know, if you want to know which two could be deleted, how about we go with the two that are deleted? So still cruising. And that you might consider that a compilation album because they stick, you know, three big hits yeah, at the okay, end. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah, mostly right, new right. songs. I, I sort of forget it exists. So I mean, that that's got to say something. I mean, obviously, you know, they wanted to put Kokomo on an album, but this was a little bit later already. But yeah, I I, I don't really go back and, and think of that one. And uh, Summer in Paradise. And this is interesting. This is a, a debate that goes on uh, with fans online a lot. Um, you know, some people like it, but I, I don't know. I just I. It's just one that I never go back to. I mean, the the, the title yeah. track is pretty good. I mean, some of the lyrics are a bit corny, but it's you know it's it's an ecological song. It's pretty good. I've heard it done pretty well live. Um, but I don't know. I, I I listened to the album a few times and then I can't remember much about it. So yeah. uh, you know, I just remember I just remember a lot of program sounds. So I don't know. It's not uh, not very high on on my list. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go with those two as well. I'm still cruising. Um... I don't think we need to say much about it. It it, it was I'm not sure what it was. Uh, forgetting the songs that had, you know that they brought in just because they were used in movies, uh, the so-called original songs. I think what I, if my recollection would be, we're not getting new Beach Boys stuff. So even something mediocre, I'm glad for, uh, but kind of wincing or oh my goodness uh, really um so so cruising is is not it, it you know the gun at the head okay you can take that one and uh summer in paradise i don't hate uh i don't i don't go back to it uh often but i think i think it suffers a little bit from uh the 
uh, zeal, the evangelistic zeal of uh, you know the ecology message. I'm not against that message, but uh, it it just felt like it was a bit over the top with the, the packaging. And I, I know they were touting that some of their packaging was cutting edge or, or whatever the process. So anyway, I, I wonder if that had something to do with it. Um, they, I think they kind of put it out themselves. Uh, you know, it wasn't a capital thing or Warner Brothers and that kind of stuff. So it just didn't sell well. It didn't uh, get played. So, so I think it's this thing of it's the most unrecognizable, maybe, Beach Boy album, and therefore you just assume all the songs are equally uh, unrecognizable or good. Um, you know, there's songs on there that I don't mind listening to, but I do not go back to them often. So, uh, You know, it suffers from uh, not having any Brian. Uh, truly does. Truly does. I, well, I'm surprised neither of us mentioned uh, Stars and Stripes Volume 1, because that might make some other people's lists. But I have to say, there is one track on that um, album that I love, and I don't think I mentioned it in our covers discussion, but maybe I should have, and that is Caroline No. I think that is actually a great version that they did there because uh, Jimmy Webb has a, has a great arrangement, and it's the first time that that song has harmonies. And uh, I think to hear the Beach Boys... Very you know, good. I love. I asked Mike Love once. I said, why are there no harmonies on Caroline No? And he's like, I don't know. Ask Brian. But here they get their chance <laughs> to do it, and I think it works really well. And... Uh, I, I'm hoping that Brian was, was really doing the arranging of that. I imagine he was. Um, but I, I think Timothy Schmidt of the Eagles, his lead vocal is great. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful version, a nice companion uh, piece to the original. Well, hopefully they won't be deleting any of the, uh, the stuff from their catalog and even uh, these others bringing, making them available for, for people to make their own judgments on. Any, deleting any them. They're, they're going to keep re-releasing them every, like, five years. I, I know they just changed something about them and people <laughs> buy them. Uh, what's that Beach Boys the thing that went triple platinum or something? Uh, yellow anyway, yellow cover. But yeah, uh, sounds. Sounds of summer maybe. Sounds of summer. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, any comments you want to make generally or on any of this? Well, I, I think you know in doing this, it just reinforces what a what a great band. They are because it was hard to to whittle it down to uh, to ten albums. So I mean, for any band to have more than ten albums that you think are great, I think that is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would taken time to put these together, but the, uh, you know we're we're weak on real early albums. Um, you know, those are well. I I thought of that, and I mean, I think part of that is because. You know, albums became like the, the industry became more album focused. I mean, you could credit. I mean, Pet Sounds, I guess, was important. Rubber Soul was important in that movement. Sgt. Pepper's was important in that movement. You know, in the late '60s, early '70s, it was more about the album than it was about about the radio song. Um, nonetheless, I mean, those early Beach Boys albums are quite strong. And I mean, I mentioned on my list, I, I included All Summer Long and Beach Boys Today, but Surfing USA. Great album. I mean, you know, even with all those surfing instrumentals, it's strong all the way through. Surfer Girls got a bunch of classic songs on it, you know. Uh, so Beach Boys all, were pretty big on the album from from the early days, but I think, you know, 
even more so later on as the industry changed. Yeah, my, my comment would be to those who are saying, how could you keep, and then they you know, they would choose it out. Like neither of us put Holland there. I was Some, thinking about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you, it's a great album. Uh, it, it couldn't put all the great albums there, but I mean, not trying to be de- defensive, just that, that certainly uh, was one that could have been on that li- on either list and certainly belonged there. Um, Carl and the Passion, so tough. Uh, I must admit, it's not one of my favorites. Obviously, it's not on the list, but for some fans, that's their entry into Beach Boys' world. And uh, just as for me, the early stuff is for some people that you know, uh, search up Carl the Passions, Holland. Uh, that's where they came in, and so that's uh, their sonic experience, if I can keep using that term. So, but, uh, interesting era. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, uh, thanks for this time. Thanks for always your good uh, insight and commentary, and uh, we'll look forward to – I've got another idea that I'll talk to you about for uh, what might be our next one if you're up for it. I'm always up for it, Phil. I just can't wait to hear what uh, what the fans think uh, of our list, and I want to I see some more lists from others. Very good. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening, whoever might be out there. Bye-bye. Thanks, Phil.